Callie Crossley, and this is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. And now for the part of the show we call Lanyap. That's Creole for something extra. Behold, what we hold is threefold. Body and spirit to be foes for free souls. So is the evidence peace flows of shows and depots, the evos are peoples, are equals, retold. What you're listening to is Declaration of Independence, a song from an honors thesis. Yes, you heard that right. 20-year-old Abbasi Shah made history just a few weeks ago as the first Harvard student to submit a rap album as an honors thesis. His album is called Liminal Minds. The album is his reflection on being black in America. It was also inspired by Geoffrey Chaucer's The Canterbury Tales. Here with me in the studio is Abbasi Shah. Welcome Hi. to Under the Radar. Thank you. Hello. I'm so delighted to have you. It's great to be here. <laughs> so now every year the Harvard Gazette goes and looks through the, all the graduates and picks out people who are doing something very interesting. Obviously, yeah. you stood out <laughs> <laughs> as a person who's submitted a rap album as a thesis. So how did this come to you? So in the English department, people are allowed to apply to write creative theses, which would be generally like a book of poetry or short stories or a novella or like a play. And I knew that I wanted to do creative writing. I've known that for a long time, but I had never really found exactly what form I wanted to write in. Um, meanwhile, just a couple of years ago in the summer of 2015, I had just started rapping. And so as I was thinking about this, the deadline was, I think, March of 2016. Uh, I was talking to my mom and she said, uh, why don't you do a rap album as your thesis? And I thought, well, that, that would never work. They would never accept that. So it was like in the back of my mind, but I was like immediately rejected it. But then I still couldn't think of anything else to do. And the deadline for a creative thesis was coming up. I, I was okay with writing a normal thesis if I didn't think of anything creative. But the deadline, it, I, I saw it was like a day away. And I thought, well, I have no other ideas. Might as well submit an application. Uh, and so I quickly put something together like, came up with a, with a general idea, submitted some lyrics of some songs I had written already, and then didn't expect anything of it, like expected them to reject it. But then it was accepted, and, and the guy who accepted it, uh, because faculty in the creative writing department choose which ones they want to do. And so Josh Bell is the name of my advisor, and he accepted it. And he's just the, the coolest guy. He was super supportive the whole way through, just every every step of the way. I just experienced a lot more support than I expected to. I expected, like, I was my own kind of worst critic in the mm -hmm. sense that I thought, well, this would never work. Well, like, I probably won't get a good grade. Or, like, I'm, like, every every step of the way, I was surprised at how well-received it was. Well, first, props to mom. I think she's yeah, kind of cool. Absolutely. <laughs> it wasn't even your idea, yeah. so let me just say. Yeah. <laughs> and, by the way, she and dad are Harvard graduates, so maybe she was thinking, hey, you know, yeah. <laughs> uh, let's just go with the flow of the thing. I yeah. sort of know the institution. You were homeschooled yeah. um, before you came in, and you were a fan of Christian rap, yes. right? So talk about that. So Yeah. We, yeah. So Christian rap, as, as I grew up uh, in a very Christian environment, I listened predominantly to Christian music and then within that, primarily Christian rap. So the artists like Lecrae and Tripoli are my two favorite Christian artists. But it was spring of 2015 when Kendrick Lamar released his album To Pimp a Butterfly, which is like critically um, acclaimed. It was 
almost any list. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he yeah, right. he won. He had the most <laughs> Grammy nominations since second most ever since Michael Jackson. And any other list other than the Grammys, if you like scour the internet, it's the number one album of the of the year. The Grammys gave it to Taylor Swift, but I think that that was more of a popularity contest yeah. type of thing. Um, it was it was in a groundbreaking, incredible album. I think one of the best albums like ever written. And that just kind of opened my mind, like shook my world to everything that could go on in rap. And and as as I've kind of been developing in my faith over the last few years here at Harvard, I've come to see that like Christian rap, for example, is super helpful, super good, but for it's targeted at a very specific audience and has a very specific purpose and a very specific message. And that there's so much more that art can do. And that I think art is a lot more interesting even or or has the ability to be a lot more interesting when it doesn't tie itself so far down into only as particular group of people who understand the world in a very particular way will appreciate this music. Instead, I think everybody should be able to appreciate art, whether it's coming from a Christian or any like religious tradition. And of course, you would have the foundation in that. So whatever you produce is going to have some contextuality in that because that's where you're coming from. So the name of the album is Liminal Minds. Now, I was an English major at Wellesley, but I had to look that up. Yeah, I did too. Yeah, (laughs) no, for sure. Yeah, I know. Like I explained this word to people and like I feel bad because sometimes people know it and I feel like I'm dumbing it down. But I didn't know the word. Like I came across the word. So I, I... came across this quote that said something like this. I don't remember where the quote was from, but paraphrasing that black people in America are caught between freedom and slavery because although we're no longer enslaved, the effects of slavery still exist in society and on our consciousness. And so we're kind of in this in-between space. And then soon after that, I saw the word liminal and I looked it up and then that connection just happened for me. So I, I explained that to people, like liminal means in between two states, it means like on the line, kind of. In the in the sense that subliminal means below the line, liminal means on the line. So the idea that came to mind was telling stories of what it means to be in that kind of liminal space as a black person in America and what are the different kinds of liminalities that exist for black people in America. I mean, so it's a, a series of different stories trying to exemplify that. All right, well, there are 10 tracks, and I want to give our listeners a chance to hear one of them that's called Between the Lines, so it goes directly mm-hmm. at that. So let's take a listen. Dear son, I hope this letter finds you well. You're reading this now, you just turned 18. As I write this, I'm in the hospital by your mother's side. She just gave birth to you, our precious baby boy. And if the Lord treats us well, she'll give us many more. You know, you have your mother's eyes. They're beautiful. Happy birthday. So this is a long, like, back-and-forth letter, um, yeah. which is really beautiful over time. And then you have this gorgeous voice, by the way. Yeah, helping it's a, you a good out. friend of mine. <laughs> She's incredible. <laughs> uh, so talk a little bit about, you know, how that came to you. This song? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so what you heard just there was... Um, the the voice of he's that's actually the voice of my advisor Josh Bell. I asked him to do that voice for me. It's the voice of kind of a white father writing a letter to his son, and I just kind of had that. I, I wrote out that letter because I wanted to see the idea that came to mind as I was just kind of writing and trying to come up with ideas was contrasting a white father's letter, kind of like the generic white father with the generic black father, um, and kind of what the black father would have to add to that letter. 
And so, for example, the the first line was, Dear son, I hope this letter finds you well. Uh, and then I come in and I say, Dear son, I hope this letter finds you well. Hope your life's been heaven everywhere that mine's been hell. And so on. And it's kind of the black father interjecting and adding the things that he feels need to be said that would not have come to mind to the white father. Um, and it's not that like every black father, or every white father experiences these things, but that it's just the way that black people experience the world. There is no one black experience, but that there are just so many of them and all of them deal with kind of this like liminality, this being between mm-hmm. the lines in a, in a way. And so and then the voice on that is Bryn Elliott, who's like a good friend of mine, who's also like an artist and super cool. So that, that's kind of the idea of that song. So as I said, you have 10 tracks, and uh, each of them, as you've just described, goes through the stories. But it's clear that you've stated that this is inspired by Chaucer's mm-hmm. <laughs> work. So you got to let people know, how did that come to be? We yeah. understand the between now, so how yeah. did Chaucer yeah. come into play? So mm-hmm. what I study most in the English department is medieval things. It's just been an interest of mine. And so The Canterbury Tales by Geoffrey Chaucer is one of the most important Middle English works. And it's a s- series of stories told by these, I think it's it's 40-something different people, and he never finished um, the, like he died before he finished all of the stories he wanted to tell, but all under this kind of framing device of, it's a group of people, they meet at like a tavern, and are going to take a pilgrimage to Canterbury in order to see this relic. And so while they're on their way, their like guide says, everybody tells a story. And then at the end of the trip, whoever tells the best story, we'll all buy him a drink or whatever. <laughs> um, and so it's all of these different ordinary people with different professions, just like the knight and the miller, just all of these different people. And they each just tell their own story. Like some are comedies, some are tragedies. But what I inspired this album about that is the idea of these ordinary people going on a pilgrimage and telling each other stories. And so I imagine in my album the black people telling their own stories as being ordinary black people um, going on the pilgrimage, kind of metaphorical pilgrimage of being black in America. Yeah, I wanted you to explain that because I know there are a lot of people thinking honors thesis and rap album yeah. is not a party album. You're really yeah. <laughs> getting to something that has an uh, intellectual basis. Yeah, <laughs> what yeah. do people understand that? As if they couldn't tell by the title cover, Liminal Minds. But in case they didn't, I just want to be clear. I'm Callie Crossley, and you're listening to Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. My guest is Obasi Shaw, and we're talking about his honors thesis, which is a rap album called Liminal Minds. It's the first rap album in Harvard's history to be submitted as a thesis. So I want to listen to some more of your work. Now, there's one piece in which you have no music, um, which I thought was interesting, and it's literally called Pilgrim, I believe that's mm-hmm. the title. Pilgrim's of it. Yeah, Editor's Pilgrim's. Note. Yes. In... So let's uh, Pilgrim's Editor's Note. Let's take a listen. How beautiful the feet that walk the trail of tears, bare souled and blood stained on display for their peers. Do you know how it feels to have your history erased? Your founding fathers all convicted and evicted from their place, no trace of fair trial. They was all forced to plead. It's even more hidden figures than America believes. So I'm searching for my roots, cause Haley had to make his up. It's tragic when we fabricating basic stuff. Like I ain't got no history that ain't based in fluff or placed in cuffs. Cruff. I thought it was quite powerful. And why was the decision not to have music with this piece? So it's called Pilgrim's Editor's Note, and it kind of serves for me the purpose 
almost the same kind of purpose that like the general prologue of the Canterbury Tales serves, which is it is Chaucer explaining kind of what's going on. And so for me, this was like the kind of poetic explanation of what follows. And so I wanted it to kind of strike the reader as an interjection, as me, the author, entering in and telling the listener, this is why I'm writing and what you're going to experience. So in the larger world outside of Harvard and this thesis writing world, this would be thought of as conscious rap, um, if people don't know that expression, where there are those like Common who seeks to tell a few stories that have messages that are bigger than actually the story themselves. Mm -hmm. Would you agree that that's sort of where you fall? Yeah, absolutely. It's a complicated genre description because I think a lot of people, when they think conscious rap, think rap that isn't particularly good musically, that has an agenda. And I think that that's true. This is conscious rap, but I also want to push back on that notion that anybody might have. Because even like some of the best rappers rapping today, like Kendrick Lamar, is doing what could definitely be considered conscious rap because it's so wrapped up in the social issues that he's dealing with. And even Chance the Rapper, I feel like part of the problem of calling it conscious rap is that it's implicitly calling other rap unconscious. Mm. And I think that there's, of course, there's a lot of rap that's just commercial. Yeah, exactly. But that's not all yeah. that's in rap. Right. And like yeah. rap has developed so much over the last like 30 or so years, 40 years, I guess. There's just so many different strands of it. And I think one of those strands is what people call conscious rap, but I think so many more of those strands should be taken seriously as like literary art, that, that it's something that people are trying to deal with social issues in their own way. Um, and it's not just a very particular few people. Like I I don't want it I don't want it to seem like my rap is any more conscious than just because you're a Harvard just graduate. Because, yeah, a big deal Harvard yeah, graduate. Exactly. A summa cum laude a Harvard <laughs> graduate, just to be clear. <laughs> yeah, I get you. I get you. Let's listen to a piece from I'm a Free Man. And evidently you think you're a liberal, but where's your fing patience? Oh, evidently I'm a criminal, no reparations. You put your kid in private school, that's called segregation. You say you love me from a distance, I call that complacence. And what is free? Everything you give is just placebo. You broken one too many promises, I plan to veto. Your secret dream to your supreme, you better sleep in fetal. I'll never let you touch my family, I'm Al Pacino. Your lethal ethos is a venomous plan, but a ring vendetta. You truly believe if you don't lend us a hand, we ain't gonna get up. You keep your cheddar, I'ma take my chance, transcend better. No playing games. Now, one of the things that I notice about your style is, um, even though you're you're speaking rapidly, for those of us who are heading toward fogeydom, it's an, it's slow enough so I can catch actually all of the lyrics, which, you know, rap today is very fast. So yeah. sometimes I have to go back and look up yeah. the lyrics. Yeah. Uh, was that a deliberate or is that your style or was it deliberate because you were doing a broader base yeah. kind of appeal? So definitely hmm. there are times when it gets really fast, but for the most part... My goal in rapping is not even to demonstrate my technical capabilities as a rapper, but to get across a message. And if I can do that musically well, and the rap is also understandable to a common listener, then that's great. Then I would like to do that as much as possible, especially because um, I think of the album to itself as being very liminal in the sense that I am writing to hip-hop fans, but I'm also writing to my academic thesis reviewers. And neither of those groups do I think as more important than the other. And so I wanted the academic people to appreciate it and appreciate the lyrics, appreciate what they could understand and hear, as well as I still wanted it to be good music that 
the hip hop people could listen to. I was just always conscious of the fact that there are multiple audiences and not even just those two audiences. It was also for me, the Christian audience versus the non-Christian audience was very big for me because I've been so, I grew up in Christian culture listening to Christian rap and I was just always conscious of who I am and what I'm portraying in my rap. So let me ask this question because that which we're playing on the air is the clean version. Yeah. You have a version that's not so clean. Yeah. By the way, the the advisors got the clean version as well. So why even have a different Actually, version? Actually, no, the advisors did not get the clean no. version. Oh, they didn't? No. Oh, they got the unedited. Yeah. All right. Yeah. But why have that then, given what you've just the said? The clean version? Yeah. Well, why have, or have the non clean version? version. Yes. yes. So why have like profanity in my rap? Yes. So I'm deeply Christian, but what that means to me is I think maybe something different than it may mean to a lot of people, Christian or non-Christian, who hear me say that. I've been heavily involved with Christian community um, at Harvard in like many different ways. I was managing editor of the, the Harvard Ichthys, which is a Christian journal, and I've just been both intellectually, emotionally, spiritually dealing with my Christianity and learning a lot, growing a lot in these past four years. And something that I've kind of come to realize is that... I think the Christian message, if it had to be summed up in one word, is a message of reconciliation in the sense that it's a message of brokenness, but that we can be brought together despite our differences and despite the things that bring us apart. But it's not a message of one has to be clean and good and perfect, and then ah, we see. can come together. And I think that one thing that rap that's conspicuously clean often does is it feels alienating to people who aren't clean in their lives. Nobody is totally clean right, in their lives. Exactly. Um, in our language, some are. I mean, I don't I don't actually curse outside of like my album, but I don't look down on those who curse. I'm not yes. in judgment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so when Come I, as you are. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And mm-hmm. so especially because I'm portraying people who are not myself, who are characters in this this community, I don't want to clean them up and make them these perfect people so that they're acceptable to me or others. I think that the impulse to clean people up to make them acceptable um, needs to be examined and that that's actually the real danger here. I think it's okay. I mean, I understand that, like, for a lot of people, my mom included, like, hearing curse words is just, has kind of a visceral effect, um, and that's okay. But I think as soon as you start telling people you you have to be a certain way in order to be accepted, Mm -hmm. that becomes anti-reconciliation. It's holding people away instead of bringing them in. And so I I didn't want to do that at all, and I didn't want to send that message at all. And so I wanted to fully participate in the rap community with all of its dirtiness. You meant an expression. Yeah, yeah, Mm -hmm. but an expression, Mm -hmm. yes. Well, you know, I probably would have said, just because I'm young and I feel like it, but, you know, that's a Harvard (laughs) answer, so I'm I'm going... (laughs) Let's listen to one of my favorites. I like uh, Born Browner. I really enjoyed this track. Thank you. Uh, he was five years old when he realized he was black. Kindergarten teacher wouldn't cut him any slack. Saw his doodle in the back. Couldn't draw within the line. She told him that it usually took longer for his kind. Mama pulled him at the school next day. Told him he would learn to read the old-fashioned way. He stayed a little jaded from that prejudiced encounter. Frustrated, learned to hate himself for being born browner. Around a decade and a half later, waited and deflated. He hated that it shaded, made his fate so complicated. I mean, it just to me expressed uh, an experience that a lot of us have either um, been a part of or have witnessed others go through. And I and I just thought it was uh, beautifully put and simply put and and clean enough and slow enough for everybody to catch it. So, yeah. so that, that to me had a, had a lot of resonance. 
I also want to point out that for a lot of people may not know that Harvard has the only hip hop archive and research institute uh, located at the Hutchins Center, which mm-hmm. is uh, directed by Marceliana Morgan. So I wondered often with these theses, they stay at Harvard somewhere in the library. Yeah. Will yours be in two places? Because I don't know. That I've fits you know I've been trying well. to get in contact with hip hop archive and like <laughs> struggling too. <laughs> yeah, and so. That's a good question. Yeah. Like it is it seems kind like of historic short, now. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, so I've I've always known it's going to be in the thesis department, right. like wherever they store those. But I don't know. That's an interesting. Because question. there are hip hop fellowships actually yeah. attached to yeah. that archive. Yeah. Um, and there's a great amount of study going on. So I wanted people to know that. So you know, you've really uh, struck history in in many many ways. There is a piece. Now we were talking about cleanliness and your and not cleanliness and why you went the way you did, which is called I Am Not Your N-Word, which mm-hmm. is not on the version that I have. And I wondered why you wanted to explore that. Yeah. So it's definitely based on, the title is based on the recent movie, I Am Not Your Negro, about mm-hmm. James Baldwin. And I loved that movie. I thought it was incredible. It's pretty powerful. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But then it's also kind of based, again, doing the hip-hop thing of, like, being dirty and not not having to clean up the word because I believe uh, Rao Peck said that he the wanted director. it to be the director. Yes. Sorry, mm-hmm. wanted said that he wanted that to be the name, but he knew that that would not be all right. That's right. Um, and so I think in hip hop is kind of a almost unique art form in that it's about being brutally honest or or blunt. And that's another reason why I didn't want to not use the words that I thought were appropriate at the time. So the idea of that song is it's kind of a complex idea because I've had so many conversations about like. Who can use the N-word? Should mm. people use the N-word? Um, and I think it's just such a complex topic. My answer through the song is that I tend to think that it's a word that we shouldn't use. I think it's divisive to just in general to have black people able to use a word and white people not able to use a word. Mm. I think it holds this tension that that doesn't resolve. But I also completely understand and I'm okay with like the last kind of line of the second verse is but don't you ever tell a N-word how he can't address his bro. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that at the same time, for anybody to kind of try to regulate the words that we use, our use of a word that was used to oppress us is just kind of further oppression, further regulation. And I think that we should have the conversations, but we shouldn't attempt to attack and restrict and further alienate each other, but that we should always be working towards reconciliation. So a lot of people might be surprised to know that Beyonce doesn't have you on speed dial yet, that you, in (laughs) fact, are going to Seattle to become what? A software engineer? Yeah. What happens to all this? (laughs) I don't know. Um, So this has been crazy. So, like, there was no reach that I had. There was no—nobody was listening to my music. Nobody was doing anything. It was just like any other kind of rapper who kind of enjoyed it as a hobby. But, like, nobody was listening. Nobody was paying attention. So I knew that— to pursue a rap career would mean I'd have to like try to get my name out there and try to like get connected to people. And that was something that I didn't want to do. Plus I have this lucrative job opportunity that um I'll say that I yeah <laughs> that I can use to pay off student loans before going on to do um whatever else I want to do that may not make as much money. So that's been my plan. But this has been just so disorienting because so many people have been contacting me and it's just become so real. Like it's it's always been like a kind of fantasy in my mind. Well, maybe would I want to be famous? Probably not, but maybe. But then now here I am. And it's like just completely out of the blue. I haven't even had the time to really sit down and process. So I had plans for my life because I wasn't famous rapper. Now my plans are confused. I mean, I signed a contract with Google, so that's where I'm going. But I don't know what 
rap will mean to me in the future. I'll definitely continue rapping. I just don't know in what capacity. Well, you should know beyond anybody else that if you want to make God laugh, make a plan. Right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <heard> <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> okay. So, well, we'll see what happens. And then, and nobody says you can't do both. Yeah. Or maybe something comes from the Google experience and yeah. they'd like to tap into your skills. Maybe. I we'll, mean, this we'll is ac- actually, this is poetry. So we'll yeah. see how that works. Yeah. But I will say to you, congratulations. Thank you. And um, I enjoyed it and I'm thrilled for you. And so nice to meet someone who's making history so thank young you. in his life. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> okay. Obasi Shah is a summa cum laude graduate of Harvard and the writer and composer of the rap album Liminal Minds. You can listen to the album on soundcloud.com slash Shaw or on our website, news.wgbh.org slash UTR. That's it for this edition of Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. Join us next Sunday at 6 p.m. for the stories you may have missed. In the meantime, you can find our show and links to stories we discussed today on the web at news.wgbh.org UTR. Listen to our show on the WGBH app and take UTR with you. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Please write to us at undertheradar at wgbh.org. Our engineer is Doug Sugarts. Andrea Swahi is our producer. Under the Radar is a production of WGBH.